Welcome to In His Grip with Dr. Chuck Betters, Senior Pastor at Glasgow Church in Bear, Delaware. In His Grip is a daily broadcast presented by Mark Inc. Ministries. In today's sermon entitled, Does Jesus Matter to You? Dr. Betters compares the church of today with the first century church. They believe they were losing the cultural war, but God has transcended and the scriptures continue to be the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ to be the only sure hope when people find out that this culture is a dead one. Let's join Dr. Betters as he concludes this message. All Pontius Pilate wanted when he was appointed to be the the governor of of, uh, Judea, all that he wanted was peace. Don't have big crowds assembled. Don't be calling people kings. Don't be having uh, palm branches waving. Don't get big crowds together because I will strike those down with remarkable force. And the moment Jesus was arrested, the fear of the people, the fear of Rome swept through the people and the people understood that they could very well be next. They knew how Rome dealt with tyrants self-professed messiahs, kings, and rulers, those who claimed to be ones who would deliver them from the power of the Roman uh, emperors. They knew how the crosses along uh, the walls or along the uh, hillside outside of Jerusalem were lined almost every day with crucified victims. Thousands of them would be crucified. And as people would come into town, they would, they would actually have to walk by these crucified victims so that Rome was sending a message to people, this is where you end up when you disturb the peace. This is where you end up when you take what you believe inside of the church and move it to outside of the church. This is what your lot will be When you take what you believe in here, where you're allowed to practice whatever you want to believe, and you take it out there. I think our world is rapidly becoming that, don't you? We read today of pastors who are imprisoned in these Islamic countries simply for being Christians. We hear of uh, torture. Uh, Is it too far removed for us to think that the same things could happen here? It's illegal in Canada to speak out against certain social sins. That's Canada. That's a free nation. You can't get into your pulpit and speak out. You'll get arrested. I remember being warned when I spoke in Canada, don't say anything against social sins. You can get arrested. Specific ones in particular, it's called hate speech. Is it too far removed for us to think that the same things could happen here? So Jesus comes along and he asks his disciples, in the context of this kind of culture, who are the people out there saying I am? Actually, when you read Mark's account of this and Luke's account of this, both accounts say that Jesus' question went like this. Who do people say that I am? Matthew's account's a little different. When Matthew remembers the question that Jesus raised, he puts it this way. Who do men out there say that I, the Son of Man, am? In other words, he answers their question. He answers his own question. He tells them who he is. I am the Son of Man. Who do people say the Son of Man is? 
Well, they gave him four answers. They say, out there, they're saying you're John the Baptist, or Elijah, or Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. All four answers were speculations, but they were not unreasonable speculations. They were speculations based upon prevailing religious theology of the day. There were a whole group of people, even years after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, even after the church was established, who still followed John the Baptist. Many of those people who followed John the Baptist, when he was beheaded, the rumor got circulated that even though Herod cut his head off, that Jesus was the reincarnation of John the Baptist, coming back to haunt Herod. And so people out there were circulating rumors about the identity of Jesus saying, well, he's really John the Baptist. While others said he was uh, um, uh, Elijah because the religious belief of that day was that, well, Elijah never died. Remember, Elijah was taken up into heaven bypassing death. And so the belief of the rabbis at that time was that Elijah will come back again before the end of the world, that Elijah will return, that Jesus was Elijah. Now, there was a whole school of thought that believed that. So it wasn't out of, I mean, people weren't just making this stuff up. It was based upon some of the thinking, religious thinking and theology of that day. Others said, well, he's Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the one who warned Israel, the one who took off all of his clothes and ran around the city naked to make a, 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 a testimony against Israel. And some said, well, maybe he's one of the other prophets. Now, which of these answers was correct? None of them. None of them. If you were to go out today and do your own little personal street interviews, just go out today. Who is Jesus? And then be more specific. Does he matter to you? Does he matter to you? Do your own little interview. Go down to the University of Delaware campus. Go down on Main Street. Go to work tomorrow. Who do you say Jesus is? And see what kind of answers you get. Most of the answers you get will be respectful answers. Most people will tell you he's a great man, a great teacher, a great example, uh, that he taught us. Most people will say, well, what's the basic message of Jesus? What, what's the basic message of Jesus the world will tell you? Love. Love one another. That's his message, love one another. Jesus came to show us how to love one another. Is that what he came to do? My Bible tells me that Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, in order to truly love somebody, they must be convinced that they're lost. Does he matter? Does Jesus matter to the church? Have we lost this cultural war? Is this war over? I couldn't help but notice the songs that we sang this morning. Those songs were powerful, powerful songs. And I wish I could right now remember many of the lyrics of the songs, but I was sitting there thinking, that's really our message. 
Our message is that it may appear as though we've lost the cultural war. It may look that way. But when Jesus turned to his disciples after Peter's confession and said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. First time he uses in the New Testament the word church. The ecclesia, the called out ones. That hell itself will not stand against the onslaught of the church. And believe me, for 2,000 plus years, hell has launched an onslaught, hasn't it? We think we live in a bad culture, and we do. Imagine living in the Roman culture. And if pastors and teachers in the early first century church were to stand up and say, you know, just in a couple hundred years, the Roman Empire will be no more, and the church will be the official religion of the world, you'd have been laughed out of your pulpits because most Christians in that day would have said, we've lost the cultural war. And what were they doing in the Roman world? What was the mark? What were the marks of the, of the world of, of Rome? Well, you can read about it in Romans 1. The same issues we're battling today. Satan hasn't changed his strategy much. He's just cleaned it up politically. But we, fought, we fight against the very same issues then, the issues of heart, the issues of sexuality, the issues of geopolitical terrorism, and all those other things that we're facing today, the early church faced as well. The last I heard in 44 years now we're going on of ministry, I don't know of one Christian in my churches that has gone to a lion's den or to a cross. I don't know of one. I don't know of anyone in 44 years of people who have sat under my preaching who have gone to a cross or to an electric chair or to some form of capital punishment because they were Christians. We don't face that kind of persecution. But the issues of our culture are just the same. Now listen to me closely. You know why I get so excited about this? We are losing the cultural war. And we may have really lost the cultural war. We may have already slipped in one or two generations who no longer believe the way we believe. Who may have abandoned inerrancy of scripture, who may have abandoned the need for the church, who may look at us as judgmental and mean, and maybe we are. Who may look at us as people who like our rules more than we like grace, and we do. People who get hung up on style rather than on substance, we have those. But you know what excites me? When you stop and you think for a moment of the world that our culture is embracing, it's a dead-end street. It's a dead-end street. Many years ago, I preached... And some of you who have been with me for many years know that I preached the need for women to stay at home and raise their children. Now, I know that our culture has so changed and our economics have so changed that many of you women can't do that any longer. Financially, you just can't afford it. I know that. I understand that. This is no condemnation on you who work outside of the home. 
But it's interesting to me now that the feminists are now writing books. And their books are on these new secrets that they've uncovered. They actually market them as this is, this is brand new, innovative information that all of you feminist women need to understand. That all of this thing about you having your job and your career and finding all your fulfillment, there's a dead end street. They're now telling their people it's a dead end street and this is a remarkable revelation to them. Instead, what they're finding out is that they're 40 years old or more they look at the biological clock that is ticked and they realize something's missing in my life. Something's missing. Children. Who are the heritage of the Lord? Children. Are the heritage of the Lord. And ladies, they're saying now, I don't know whether they still call them ladies anymore. I think that's probably a misnomer as well. Don't be offended, any of you, when I refer to you as ladies because there's something special about calling somebody a lady. I'm not afraid of that term. I hope you're not either. Slap, slap me across the face if you are. I never liked the term Ms. either, but that's okay. That's another sermon. Um, but you know what excites me about this? Even the rocks will cry out. That God already... This is not... Lady, you haven't discovered something innovative here. You're, you're making a lot of money on your book. And feminists are buying your book and eating it up. But you haven't uncovered anything that the scriptures haven't already told us is the fundamental unit of society that the mother and the father who raised children to know, love, and fear God is the covenant community that God has promised to bless and multiply. Now listen closely. How does this flesh out? Now, people in my age group, 40 years ago, were dying. Maybe 50 years ago. The lifespan was the 60-somethings. Now we're being told that the 75s are the new 65s, the 65s are the new 55s, etc. Why? Because we're living longer. And we're taxing you. Every one of you who are working and paying uh, Social Security. Thank you very much. Next year, I start collecting Social Security. <laughs> you are now paying for me, and I appreciate your help. <laughs> and the problem is, if I'm typical, I may not, or maybe, I don't know, I'm going to live for another 20, 25 years. I'm going to be 80, 85 years old before I keel over and die. So there's this whole generation that we're having to support financially. They're living longer, so you have, to, you have to supply their monies longer because they're living longer. Now go to the other end of the spectrum. Where are the children? Where are the ones who are coming behind us to resupply the workforce? Where are they? They're in trash cans. They're in incinerators at the rate of one million per year. And have I not told you for years that God will not be mocked that way, that he will deliver us over to this great evil as we continue to kill our babies? 
And the whole financial system of our country is in serious danger of collapsing like a whole house of cards because of our social sins. So the church has to declare this. How long is it going to be now before that message becomes unpopular? You know, there's a problem that's never gone away since the church still does not seem to know who Jesus is. And all of who he is is wrapped up in the testimony of Holy Scripture. The Bible, I keep coming back to this, friends. I keep coming back. I remember the 60s. How many of you remember the 60s? What one word describes the generation of the 60s? Rebellion. Rebellion. Do you remember how the rebellions were being dealt with back in the 60s? Remember when the women were burning their bras and the men were burning their draft cards and burning the American flag and burning down American college buildings? Remember all that? I remember it well. I remember the day I graduated, the next day I received a 1A. I remember thinking, I'm going to war. I'm going to Vietnam. What state's that in again? 19 years old, 20 years old. Rebellion. You remember how the rebellions were dealt with? Remember the Jesus movement? Remember the coffee clutches and the coffee clubs and the coffee houses that were started up? Remember how the love beads and the love children of the 60s and the 70s became the religious leaders of that day and now are standing behind our pulpits or maybe the bank presidents of your local bank? Here's my point. This culture is a dead end. And when people discover it's a dead end, they're going to stand up and they're going to say, where is my hope? And if you stay fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be the person they will seek out. You will be the one who has the answer. And every page of the Bible screams out the message of Jesus in Genesis. He's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's our Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest and our perfect sacrifice. In Numbers, he's that pillar of cloud by day and that pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he is our sacred judge and deliverer. In Ruth, he is our heavenly kingly, kingly uh, redeemer, the Boaz who has perfected our divine Boaz. In First and Second Samuel, he's the anointed one. In First and Second Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king who delivers us from all of our enemies. In Ezra, he's the faithful scribe, writes the word of God onto our hearts. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder 
of broken dreams of shattered walls. He's the dream maker. In Esther, he's our Mordecai. Our Mordecai, who exposes the devices of the evil one. In Job, he's our day spring from on high, the everlasting prince of peace, the ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he's our shepherd. He's our Lord. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he is our purpose in life. In Song of Solomon, he's the lover of his church and our bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace, our everlasting father. In Jeremiah, he is the king of the new covenant. Lamentations, he is the weeping prophet who weeps over our sins. In Ezekiel, he is that wheel in the middle of the wheel, that wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he is the son of man coming in the clouds of glory. In Hosea, he's the wonderful and faithful husband, forever married to us backsliding believers. In Joel, he's the one who baptizes with the Holy Ghost and with fire. In Amos, he is the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is the one mighty to save. In Jonah, he's the great preacher to the unlovely and the unlovable. In Micah, he's the messenger who has the beautiful feet, who proclaims justice and mercy. In Nahum, he is the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he's God's evangelist crying out, revive thy works in the midst of the years. In Zephaniah, he's the Lord our Savior. In Haggai, he's the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's the fountain who opens up the house of David for sin and uncleanness to be restored. In Malachi, he's the refiner's fire. He's the fuller's soap. In Matthew, he's the Messiah who has come to the church, the Israel of God. In Mark, he is the wonder worker. In, in, in Luke, he is the son of man. In John, he is the son of God. In Acts, he's the Holy Spirit who tabernacles among us as his people. In Romans, he is our justifier and our redeemer. In First and Second Corinthians, he's the great gift giver of the Holy Spirit who equips each church for his local blueprint on us. In Galatians, he's our liberator from the law. In Ephesians, he is the coming king of kings. In First and Second Timothy, he's the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he is our faithful pastor. In Philemon, he's the friend who sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he is the blood of the everlasting covenant in James. He is our great physician. In First and Second Peter, he is the chief shepherd who soon shall appear. In First, Second, and Third John, he's the father who loves his children with an everlasting love. In Jude, he's the Lord coming with 10,000 of his saints. And in Revelation, he's the alpha, the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the king of kings, the Lord of lords the lion of the tribe of Judah. And in him all things are brought together because it is predestined that in Christ Jesus all those who believe in him shall live and exist forever. Amen and amen. We need revival, Lord. Oh yes, the church needs to examine her calling. We need to look to the left and to the right. We need to hear the voices of the oppressed the voices of the disenfranchised. And Lord, yes, we must be forgiven for our legalism and our failure to see grace as you have taught us grace. But Lord, we will not see that apart from your word. 
Thank you for your word. Thank you that in every page of the Bible, we see Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. Bless this great church. Give us wisdom to see you for who you are, to love you for what you've done, to realize, Lord, you will not love us anymore or any less than you already do, even when we sin. Lord, help us to understand that being good in order to please you is not how we earn your love. We could never earn your love. Your love is unconditional. You've loved us from eternity past. What a great and awesome God you are. Our culture today is a dead end. Where is our hope? If you stay fast, you will be the one with the answer of hope for those in need. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus to you? Thank you for joining us for today's message from the Does Jesus Matter to You sermon. If you would like to receive a copy of this entire sermon, you can contact Mark Inc. Ministries and request Does Jesus Matter to You or simply reference sermon number 13-23. Mark Inc. Ministries can be reached toll free at 877-MARK-INC. That's 877-627-5462. Be sure to check out our website at www.markinc.org. Mark Inc. Ministries is a nonprofit ministry that appreciates your ongoing prayers and support. For more information, or if you would like to email us, go to markinc.org. Thank you again for listening to today's broadcast. Be sure to join us next time as Dr. Betters begins a new series. Have a blessed day and remember that God is sovereign and you can trust him as long as you are in his grip.